Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, I'm really glad that you're here today. And uh, yeah, we're counting down the days, aren't we? And Stephanie asked uh, you to, when you greet, to uh, share with the person that you said hello to how many Christmas presents you have left to buy. Yeah. I told her to do that, so it's not her fault, it's my fault, guys, men, husbands, okay? So anyway, uh, yeah, so how many of you are like, you know, 50% or more done, all right? Raise your hands. Wow, we have a ton of overachievers. It's the early service, so that makes sense, right? <laughs> so yeah, it just makes sense. Yeah, I promise you in the late service, there'll be no hands on that question at all. It just is the way it goes. Hey, have you ever received a bad present for Christmas? Think of a time when you like opened a present maybe as a, as a kid or, you know, uh, you know you're, you're newly married. Maybe you gave uh, like a bad present, a crummy present. I don't know. Uh, but um, it's, it's one of those interesting things when um, either you're the giver or the receiver and you open a present and maybe it's not what you expected or it's less than what you expected or maybe it's just crummy all the way around, you know. And a few years ago, um, I find these sermon illustrations sometimes, these message illustrations, and I want to use them right away. And I saved this one. This is uh, from a Reader's Digest, and uh, it gave a list. And I'm not going to list all of them. A few of them are, you know, not really maybe appropriate for church and that kind of thing. So I took some of them out. But um, I wanted to read to you some of the worst Christmas presents that people have uh, been given through the years who wrote in to Reader's Digest. Uh, Belinda from Organville, Pennsylvania said that she received a very nice sweater that someone had worn, stained, and re-gifted to her. That is bad, isn't it? I mean, that is just awful. Marcy from North uh, Richland Hills, Texas, received, I love this, this is so Seinfeld-esque, a donation in her name to a cause that she doesn't support. Isn't that great? Uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, Carol from Oklahoma City got uh, my own Christmas gift from the previous year back the next year. Uh, somebody's a re-gifter. Rosemary from LaGrange, Kentucky got a subscription to the Nutrisystem Weight Loss Program. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Shirley from Macomb, Michigan got a bar of soap. Uh, Claudia from Columbia Falls, Montana got a bag of cotton balls. That was my kid's favorite one. Um, Lisa from Boise, Idaho, she got Legos. She's 34 years old. <laughs> Phil from Carmel, Indiana, or Carmel, Indiana, he says, I received a book on Chinese culture written in Chinese. <laughs> John from Jefferson, New Hampshire, received a doorknob. Uh, Sheila from Grand Junction, uh, Colorado, she received a spatula, but it was used. Uh, let's see, Robin from Smithfield, Pennsylvania received one slipper. Not one pair, one slipper. Okay, I love that one. Uh, Maureen from Pleasanton, California received a book of etiquette from her mother-in-law. <sighs> wow. Oh, man. The Grinch that stole Christmas right there. Okay, so, and then Lisa from Alpharetta, Georgia, received dental floss for Christmas. So, yeah, that's a bad Christmas gift right there. You know, we are in this series and, uh, uh, that we've in, entitled Give This Christmas Away. And what I've been uh, uh, really asking God to do in the life of our church and the life of myself and for you is to give us an understanding of the greatness and the glory of the gift of Jesus that God uh, gave to us. And then what we should do in response to that. 
uh, how we should um, then uh, respond back to him and back to others as well. And it's interesting because um, really, like he set the stage for gift giving. We, we, we look at Christmas and we approach Christmas and it's been consumed in our culture for really the last 100 years, 150 years, but even the last 50 years, even more so than any other time, um, uh, just really focused on and obsessed with gift giving. Um, and, and a lot of that, Cynthia says Coca-Cola uh, was responsible for Santa Claus, really. Uh, and, and one day, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about St. Nicholas, which is just an amazing story, um, who really started gift giving. But even before that, um, the real gift that we celebrate this season is not any gift that we receive, and not any gift that we give, whether it's good or whether it's a really bad gift, uh, like many of the ones that we just mentioned. Um, the ultimate gift giver is the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth. And the ultimate gift that he gave is his son, Jesus, who died on the cross to take our sins away um, so that if we receive him, if we put our trust in him and believe in him, uh, when we die, we can have eternity in heaven. And that's the gospel gift. That's the real message uh, of, of the Bible. That's the real message of God redeeming mankind. And Paul talks about it in this uh, verse that we're just going to use maybe as a springboard this morning as we've described gift and, and uh, giver and, and uh, described that. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the, say it with me, gift of God. Jesus was the ultimate gift that God could give, better than any gift that we could ever give. And just as a reminder, the word give means this. We've kind of summarized it as it relates to God giving Jesus. To sacrifice or relinquish or endure the loss of something precious. And that precious thing described in the Bible every time, if, including Ephesians uh, 2.8 here, every time that we see Jesus or the Christ child or the Son of God or the Messiah related to gift, this is the definition that it, it uses, a gracious and precious present given freely with nothing expected in return. And throughout this series, we've looked at um, different examples of people who, in response to that greatest gift, gave something of themselves back to Jesus. In week one, uh, we looked at the idea uh, that you and I need to be people who learn how to receive that gift from God first. Before we give him anything back or give others something back, that we have to learn what it means to be receivers of eternal life. And, and we focused on this Roman uh, soldier, this centurion that gave Jesus his life, um, irregardless of whatever he might get uh, from his Roman counterparts and his friends, um, he received Jesus as his savior. One of the most unlikely people ever. And so we learned what it means to be a person who receives gifts last week. Um, and, oh, and by the way, we had five people uh, who throughout that Sunday, two weeks ago, accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And that is what we are about as a church. And it's reason for us to celebrate as a church as well. And so last week, we talked about Mary, a good friend, a dear friend of Jesus. Uh, Mary of Bethany, not Mary Magdalene, not Mary's mother, 
and the other Marys in, uh, that were around Jesus. But this friend of Jesus, she and her sister and her brother Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, good friends with Jesus. And we saw her break open a perfume or an oil that was probably the most expensive thing that she could, could possibly give to Jesus. And she cleaned his feet with them in the week before his death and burial and resurrection. And we learn from that that you and I um, don't need to give God our, our least and our last. We need to give him our first and our best. We need to give him that thing that is excellent to us, whether it's something of us or whether it's something that we have or, or some material possession um, in response to what God did by giving uh, his son. Uh, you and I uh, should respond by giving him what is excellent. And today, we're going to be focused on a man um, who was with Jesus in his death. And his name is Joseph of Arimathea. Now, just like Mary in the Bible, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of Josephs. There are Josephs in the Old Testament. There are Josephs in the New Testament. It was a common name in that day and time. And so this is a different Joseph than Jesus' father. This is Joseph of Arimathea. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 27, although the verses will be on the screen here in a moment. We're going to talk about a man who was another unlikely person who gave up something that could have been very valuable to him for the cause of Christ and what that means to you and me and how that can prompt us to give something back to him and give that back to others. And so we're going to be taking a look at this, uh, this person, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, how many of you, just, just for my reference, how many of you have heard of Joseph of Arimathea? Just raise your hands this morning. Okay, quite a few of you. A little bit more of an obscure character in Scripture, uh, although he's mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, talk about Joseph of Arimathea. Now, let me just give you a little bit of a background to this man uh, named Joseph of Arimathea. We know, first of all, that he was a wealthy man. And you're going to see that played out in the gift that he gives to Jesus. We know that he um, had great wealth. In fact, in one of the gospel accounts, uh, one of the disciples even like, comes right out and says that he is uh, wealthy. Or excuse me, one of the writers of the gospels just writes and, and says that he was uh, a wealthy man. He was also uh, a Jewish man. And so this was not only a, uh, a man who was Jewish, um, but he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, there were uh, a couple different leading parties or leading groups of, of Jewish uh, leaders in that day, religious and civic leaders. And the Sanhedrin was um, the, one of the most important groups of people uh, of all the different groups of Jewish religious leaders. And so this man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea was not only a Jew, he was not only a, a very wealthy Jewish man, but he was actually kind of like in the inner circle of, you know, Judaism, of, of the Hebrew people of that day. And so he would have been someone that ha would have enforced a lot of the, the Jewish laws. He would have brought to attention when they were um, broken. It was this group, please don't miss this, because this actually fits into the context of the story we're about to read. This was the group of people that decided together, they, they kind of came to a consensus that they would go to the Romans and, and have Jesus arrested. So this was the group of leaders in Judaism during that day and age, especially in Jerusalem, uh, who would have enforced a lot of the laws and did with Jesus, which ultimately led to his death. 
And so that was who this man Joseph was. Now, what we're going to find out is, is that this man, even though he was Jewish, even though he had tremendous wealth and could have bought just about anything that he wanted to, politically or otherwise, um, and even though he was a member of the ruling party of Jewish leaders, he at some point in time before this account received Jesus as his savior. He, he began to, to uh, see what Jesus was doing through his works and his miracles, and he became a secret follower of Christ until something happens. And here's what happened. Um, this man watched Jesus. He watched him fall apart he watched him be beaten and his flesh torn apart. And he watched those Roman soldiers nail him to a cross. And all of a sudden, he, he realizes that this one that he's decided to, to follow, that he's put his faith in and his trust in, um, doesn't have a place for his body to be buried. You see, in that day and age, um, people who were crucified were normally left just hanging on the cross. Their bodies were just left there. And if they weren't left there, they were taken down and they were not properly taken care of. Joseph of Arimathea wasn't going to have any of that for the one that he had decided to follow. He wasn't going to allow the body of the one that he put his trust in to be improperly buried, even though I'm sure that Joseph understood that that was just Jesus' body. And so this man that we're going to take a look at um, gave something extremely important to Jesus. I want you to take a look at Matthew 27. And we're just going to read 57 through 61, and we'll have one cross-reference here in a few minutes. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate. Um, that was the uh, ruling leader of the Roman government, the, the governor, if you will, who essentially was the one who cast judgment on Jesus and, and put him to death, um, maybe a bit unwillingly, but he did anyway. And he asked for the body of Jesus. Um, then Pilate ordered it, Jesus' body, to be given to him, Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 59, Joseph took the body... And he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb. We're going to come back to those words in a moment. Which he had cut in a rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and he went away. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary that were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now, here we have an account of, of a Jewish man um, who is uh, literally giving up so much of himself to make sure that the one that he put his faith and his trust in had a proper burial. There's a couple reasons why that's important. In that day and age, uh, someone who wasn't properly buried, it was extremely, extraordinarily disrespectful for them not to be properly buried. And in fact, in Judaism, in the, according to the Jewish law, it was even more of a, of, of a point of etiquette and, and rule. And so he wanted the body of the one that he put his trust in to be cared for and taken care of. In his burial. But the second reason that this is so important is this man should not have done this. 
There was no reason for Joseph of Arimathea to do what we just read about on a number of accounts. First and foremost, um, it was Passover. It was a high religious holiday, and Jewish people did not touch a dead body during this period of time. So Joseph here would have been violating all kind of laws, but it was also improper for someone of his esteem and his regard to actually touch a dead body in the first place. And especially one who had essentially turned the Jewish law upside down. And so for him to go to Pilate and to actually ask for the body of Christ and to touch the body of Christ... And to have Nicodemus, we're going to read about that in a moment, Nicodemus help him bury Jesus in his own new tomb was really, really shocking. It was very, very, very unusual. Now, I want to read just real quick here the the account from John 19, because this is one of the accounts as well. We're going to read just 39 through 42, because I want you to see a couple things here. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, Um, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Now, if you'll remember, last week we talked about that nard perfume. Um, What a great name for a perfume, by the way. You'll probably see that at Macy's this Christmas, nard. So, husbands, you get your wives some nard this year, and you'll be in good shape. It won't be a bad Christmas gift. So, uh, anyway, that nard was something that was an ointment that was used in burial, which is also symbolic of the fact that Jesus was about ready to be buried that next week. Here we see him a week later, actually almost two weeks later, as the time goes, and he once again um, is about ready to be, his body is about ready to be prepared in these oils and this, this mixture of myrrh. It was about 75 pounds, verse 40. So they, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, the man that we just read about in Matthew, they took the body of Jesus, they bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, There was a garden, and in that garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Here's essentially what happened. These two men, Nicodemus, who's a whole nother story, an amazing story that I'll tell you about sometime. But these two men loved Jesus tremendously. They were followers of Jesus, albeit secretly, but they were followers of Christ. And so they decided that they needed to do something, the right thing, with his body. So they had to do it in the middle of the night, in secret, so no one would see and no one would see what was going on uh, because they were concerned that they might be arrested and then Jesus' body would have just hung there. And so these two men decided that they were going to do something about it. And let me tell you, Joseph of Arimathea had a tremendous amount to risk. He risked so much of who he was to give something to Jesus, albeit after his death. What was it that Joseph risked? Well, he was willing to, to make room for Jesus, and he risked his reputation, he risked his renown, and he risked his religion for the sake of his Savior. But I want you to see this other main point here. Joseph was so willing to make room for Jesus in his life, that he risked what made him great. 
and he gave what made him great to Jesus to make him great. You see, Joseph did something that he didn't even know he was doing that would set Jesus up for his name to be spread everywhere. Number one, he put him in a tomb and rolled a stone in front of the tomb. He had no idea. There was no way in and there was no way out. And he had no idea that in doing that, there would have been two things that would have happened. Number one, because Jesus's body was gone the next day, um, or uh, three days later, or yeah, the next day, that Jesus's body was gone the next day, that that would give credence to the fact that he was God and that he had risen from the dead. This is why many people believed then, and it's why people believe now that his body was gone out of that tomb, out of that grave. And the second thing is, is that in doing this, he unknowingly fulfilled prophecy all the way back in Isaiah. Isaiah says that Jesus would be buried with evil people and that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isn't that incredible? See, all the way back in the Old Testament, there were hundreds of things that were predicted about Jesus, and he fulfills every single one of them perfectly. But this man, Joseph, he risked his reputation, he risked his renown, and he risked his religion because he loved Jesus and he believed in him. I, I want to kind of point out how he risked each of these three things. First and foremost, Joseph risked his reputation by asking Pilate for Jesus' lifeless body. Just by going to this Roman leader who was in charge, um, just by going to him and asking for Jesus' body, that would have risked his reputation as a Jewish man, but also as a member of the council, the Sanhedrin. And so he risked um, what people might have thought about him for the sake of Christ. He was willing to say, I don't really care what they think because I'm a follower of Christ. And to be honest with you, Christ followers, so often we do just the opposite, me included. We think, I don't know what they're going to think, so I'm going to give in and I'm going to risk my relationship with Christ. And what Joseph demonstrates to us is that in response to what he did on the cross for us, Our gift back to him involves risking our reputation. You see, we give Jesus our reputation when his view of us matters most. When what other people think or might believe about you and your journey with God, your relationship with him, doesn't matter as much as what he thinks of you. That that becomes the one voice that matters. Let's face it, you and I, because we're Christ followers, if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, and I realize some of you aren't, um, but if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, um, people will scoff at you, right? They might laugh at you, students, right? I mean, let's face it, you might get made fun of because you're a follower of Jesus. Adults, it's the same thing with us. You're in your workplace and People start snickering because you make a stand for the values that are held in this book rather than the values that the world holds. Giving something back to Jesus is putting our reputation aside, what people think of us, what other people's view of us is, and doing the right thing. That's a gift that we can give back to Christ. Are you with me? 
That's a gift that you and I can give back to Jesus in response to what he did on the cross for us. Joseph did it. Why can't we do it? So do you care more about what other people say about you? Do you believe that the noise, and that's what it is, of what other people say, um, you believing that brings glory to God? Or are you more concerned about what God thinks? See, when you're in that place, when you're more concerned about what he thinks than what other people think, man, then you're in that sweet spot of being willing to risk what makes you good and give it to Jesus. Secondly, he risks his renown. I want to give this definition to renown because it's not a word that we use so often, but I believe what renown is is what gives you the ability and me the ability to influence others and it's our value in life. You see, not only did he have, Joseph had this reputation, he was a part of the Sanhedrin, um, but he was renowned. He was a leader. Um, he was not just a Jewish man. He wasn't just a, a Jewish Sanhedrin, but he was a wealthy Jewish Sanhedrin, which meant he had all kind of influence. And so what he did by giving Jesus a place for his body to rest, um, he risked what made him influential, and he influenced Christ instead. You see, we give Jesus our renown when our energy is directed to his cause more than it's directed to other causes. We give away our influence to other causes, even selfish causes, things that we think are important. And all of a sudden, if we keep giving it away, we have nothing left for the gospel message. We have nothing left, husbands and wives, to like, do the right thing in our marriage and with our kids and um, men and women who are in business, doing the right thing in our businesses and making a stand for those things um, because we've given ourselves away to other things. Where does your passion lie? Where do you put your most of your energy in? Where's your heart today? And then lastly, Joseph, he risked his religion. I want you, I don't want you to miss this. He risked his religion by touching Jesus's body during Passover. This was, this was at the top of, of the list of rules that as a Jewish person, you were not supposed to commit. This was like way up there. And, and by touching his body during Passover, he risked his religion. And religion, as I'm defining it, is a set of beliefs that you live your whole life by. It's a set of beliefs that you put your trust in. And we give Jesus our religion when we recognize that rules don't save us he is the one that saves us. And I realize that there are some of you who are here today and maybe you've never accepted Christ as your savior um, because you come from a background where rules matter most of all. I can sympathize and empathize with you because in my background, etiquette, which is a rule, mattered most. But what Jesus' message, please don't miss this, for you and for me is, what God's message is by giving Jesus as a gift is, is that rules no longer matter in terms of your eternity with him, in terms of your salvation. You and I can't do enough good to work our way into heaven. 
We can't do undo enough bad. Although that would be nice. I would like that, wouldn't you? To work our way into heaven. The only thing that we can do is to, to give our heart to him. Because he's the one that took all of those sins and died on the cross for those sins. See, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of rules. It's not a list of what you can and can't do or have to do or undo. It's truly believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's where we receive our salvation. And my prayer and my hope is is that 100% of this room has done that. But maybe there's a few of you who haven't. Here in a few minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to absolutely know where you're going when you die that you'll be going to heaven when you die, if you just put your belief and your trust in Jesus. Do you live your life striving to be perfect compared to a set of rules? Do you live your life striving to check off a list and you're hopeful that at the end of your life you'll check off enough boxes that God will just like, you know, grant you heaven? I would hope that if you believe that today, that when you leave here, you believe in your heart of hearts, that Jesus died for your sins. And because of your belief in him, you can go to heaven. You see, we cannot ever, ever, ever count on the things that we do to get us to heaven, but we can count on Jesus. So why not make room for him in your life? Listen, you and I, whether you're a Christ follower and have been for years or whether today might be your day of salvation, we make room for Jesus, just like Joseph did. We make room for Jesus when we willingly risk what makes us great and leverage it to make Jesus great. We we make room for him when we give up those things about ourselves, and I realize that like none of us is great without him, but we, we make room for him when we give up what it is about us and what we have that makes us look better and sound better and feel better and, and have more comfort and pleasure. When we give up those things to make his name renowned, to make his name great in life. And my lasting question to you today is what part of you are you willing to risk to make Jesus great? Joseph of Arimathea, he made room for Jesus. Literally, didn't he? Because he carved out in a cave a tomb, probably where he and his family would be laid, right? He was a wealthy man. He was able to buy the tools necessary to carve out a tomb. A lot of scholars believe that it looks a lot different than what we view, a lot of book scholars believe it was a, a small cave-like structure that had almost beds that were built into the wall. Um, we don't know exactly what it would have looked like, but the fact is, is that Joseph made room for Jesus, and he risked his reputation, he risked his renown, and he risked his religion to do it. And so what part of you are you willing to risk this year to make this December a year that you give Christmas away to him? You know, it's interesting, uh, yesterday the, at the Cullen House, we wrapped presents all day. And many of you know I uh, grew up in high school and college in retail, and so I learned how to wrap presents. And so in, in our house, in our marriage, we have an agreement. Um, Cynthia buys everything, and I wrap things. <laughs> 
And I really like that because, uh, you know, I, I don't have to buy a lot of stuff. And so she takes care of that, and I wrap a lot of the presents. We do, we do it together. But I was thinking yesterday as we wrapped all these presents, whether they're good or bad or, you know, something you wanted or didn't want, that there was a man named Joseph who wrapped up a baby and put him in a manger. He wrapped him in this cloth that was, we call swaddling clothes, right? And that baby was Jesus, the one who came to die for the sins of the world. But at the end of Jesus's life, another man, also by the name of Joseph, took that same body of that one savior. And what did he do? He wrapped him in linen cloths, very similar to the way he was wrapped as a baby. And he put him in a tomb. And the next day, that body was gone because Jesus rose again from the dead. And he died, and he was buried, and he rose again from the dead because God gave him to you as a gift. He was a gift at his birth, and he was a gift at his death. Today, for those of you who are Christ followers, we're going to have our big gift tree, and I'm going to explain that here in a few minutes. Why not give a little bit of you to Jesus by participating, by helping someone out. And these are little projects that you can do. Why not share the message of Jesus with someone else? Why not um, like get over your pride and your reputation and invite a couple of your coworkers or students, some of your fellow students to, to be here on Christmas Eve so they can hear the gospel message. And if you're here today and you've never um, made room for Jesus to be your savior, why not do that today? Receive the gift that God gave when he sent Jesus to this earth. Let's make December different this year. Let's give Christmas away. Let's give ourselves to Jesus in these ways we've been talking about. But then let's give ourselves to those around us as well. Would you pray with me today? Father God, thank you so much for that gift that was wrapped in swaddling clothes at his birth. And God, he was wrapped by Joseph of Arimathea in a similar type cloth after his death. And God, we thank you for that gift, that picture of a wrapped present um, for each one of us. God, it doesn't have to be for all of humanity. It can be for Todd, and it can be for each one of us in this room. And God, I, I pray for those who may be in here right now, and um, they have never put their faith in you as their savior. They may have for a long time put faith in the idea that they could maybe do enough to receive salvation and to receive the gift of heaven. And maybe for a long time they've put their stock or their faith for eternity um, in the fact that someone will do something for them that will release them from their sins. God, maybe they figure that they can undo with their future the sins of the past. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus right now in, in, in this room, God, that you would reach down, that your Holy Spirit would reach down and touch those who are in here who have never given their life to you. Maybe something that has been sung or said or something that they've seen over these past few moments. God, maybe, it'll, maybe it's changed them. Not just changed their mind, but it also changed their heart. God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would reach down and touch them. 
If you're in here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never given your heart to Him, maybe you're not a bad person. Maybe you're actually a really good person. But you've realized today the need for a Savior and you've realized that Jesus is that Savior and that He died for you. Maybe today um, you giving a piece of yourself and making room for Jesus means accepting him as your savior. If you're here today and you want to accept Jesus as your savior, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud and I want to challenge you and encourage you and invite you to pray that along with me silently in your heart to God in the best way that you know how and can, can say to him, say a prayer, something like this. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus as a gift to me. And today I realize there's no way for me to get to heaven when I die except putting my trust in you. And today, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I receive the gift of salvation. If you're in here today, and uh, you prayed that prayer just in the quietness of this room with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm just going to ask you to look up at me and raise your hand for a moment. I promise I won't call you up here. I just want to pray for you. Just look up at me and raise your hand for a moment just so I can see you. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else pray that prayer? Just look up at me and raise your hand. God, I thank you for those who are in here um, that raised their hand this morning. God, I pray that you would help anchor them to your word. God, that they would get involved in this church if they live here, another church if they live somewhere else, but God, that you would help anchor them to you and their word and that they would live their life for you. And God, right now, I pray for those who are Christ followers in here. Um, God, I pray that you would help each one of us, just like Joseph of Arimathea, to make room for you in our lives. And maybe there's a, a sin that we've been dealing with that... Uh, we need to rid ourselves of. Um, we've just really been struggling in an area. Maybe there's something we've been sad about for a long time. And it's preventing us from giving all of ourselves to you. Maybe there's a, a priority that is in the way of you. God, right now, I pray that you would help us, those of us who are Christ followers, to find out what those things are in our life that are really getting in the way of making you the first and most important thing in our life. God, I pray that we would give you Christmas by, by talking to you about those things, that by, by reaching out to you, or even reaching out for help from someone else, getting rid of that sin or getting rid of that thing that's a top or further priority than you. God, reaching out to someone for help and counsel because we're sad. God, I pray that you would help us in our lives to make room for you. And God, then I pray that you would help us to serve our community and to share with those around us the great mercy and grace that you demonstrated by sending Jesus to this world wrapped as a baby and then sent out of this world wrapped as a 33 year old man God I pray that we 
would serve you and that you would be pleased with what we do in our lives. And I pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.